0: morning, we do welcome you back to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you to the book of 2 Kings. We're taking a a little bit of an extended look, not an exhaustive or conclusive look, but an extended look at a number of powerful things that took place during the life and times of Elisha. And so taking a look at Elisha, last week we saw how doing something as simple as digging a ditch was an ingredient, a part of the miraculous faith in God. We saw we needed to go to God first, not as a last resort. Prepare for Him to move, then think and believe for God to work in doing good things, great things, and then start small. Take that step of faith, take that shovel, begin to dig the ditch, and trust God to do the work and to do the miraculous so that was last week. A uh, couple weeks before, we spent a couple of weeks in 2 Kings chapter 4. We took a look at the widow, the widow who had lost her husband, who is deep in debt. The creditors were coming to take her sons, and God did the mighty and the miraculous by making that oil to continue pouring, filling up all the jars. She could then sell that, pay her debt, have money left over to live, Following that, we took a look at the Shunammite woman, an individual who had prepared this room for Elisha. And anytime he was coming through, he was able to stop, uh, be refreshed, kind of spend some time in that room. He and his servant Gehazi uh, asked, is there something they could do? She said, I'm fine. There is this contentment. But they realized she had no son. They prayed and said, next year at this time, you'll have a son. She certainly did. He grew up and then, unfortunately, passed away in her lap. She went to the man of God who uh, went to heaven on her behalf and raised that boy back to life. So we've looked at some pretty mighty uh, biblical accounts here looking at the life of Elisha. This morning, we're going to jump back into 2 Kings chapter 4 and kind of work our way uh, through the end of that chapter as well as pick up another biblical account a couple chapters later. going to be looking at three brief stories, three brief accounts, and they're going to help us understand one powerful truth, and that's this, God cares for you. So I want you to help me with that, and I want you to shout it out if you can. So we're going to say, God cares for you first, and then afterwards we'll say, God cares for me. So on the count of three, God cares for you. Are you ready? One. 2 3 God cares for you. All right now. Now turn to somebody next to you. You might be sitting next to someone if if you're not directly next to someone, you know, look in advance or turn around, look behind you or look to the side, but kind of kind of aim this towards somebody. And we're going to say God cares for me. Let them know. Let them know God cares for me as well. As God cares for you, he cares for me. Ready? God cares for me on the count of 3. 1 Two, three, God cares for me. The truth is, we take a look around this sanctuary, each and every one, God cares for you, and he cares for me. As we take a look at some of these biblical accounts, we're going to see in in some various different ways how God does that. So I invite you to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 38. We're going to read this, this story through and understand that God cares about healing your physical body. If you're thankful that God cares about healing your physical body, say, Amen. Amen. Yes, God cares about healing our physical body. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 38. So these are following the accounts of the uh, the widow woman, following the accounts of the Shunammite woman, but a little bit later on comes this, in verse 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. Now, certainly through the life of Elijah, the prophet beforehand, we'd seen a little bit of a famine. We've, we've seen some of these resources being withheld. He prayed for rain, and uh, you know, God delivered. So there's been some of this, uh, this famine before. But there was a famine in the region. And it says while the company of the prophets was meeting with him, the company of the prophets, he was spending some time teaching and training, working with some of these other individuals, they were meeting with him. He said to his servant, Put on a large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. So understand, there are many prophets that are meeting and gathering. He's investing his life in teaching, but they're in the midst of a famine. So it's not like you just run to Walmart and you grab a little bit of extra food. It's not like you run to a McDonald's and you pick up a bunch of Happy Meals. He's... You know they're in this this famine, and he's saying to the servant, "Put on a big pot and cook up some stew." Verse thirty nine. One of them, one of these prophets, went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. Are you getting the picture? All these prophets working together, listening and hearing from Elisha, they're wanting to grow in, in godliness and grow in, in, you know, the things of the Lord. And so they're, they're focused on the, the prayer and, and focused on the learning and probably not as understanding of botany and plants. So one of them heads out, you know, they... they trying to rummage for some food they're in a famine so he's going out he said hopefully I can find some stuff to add to the pot so he goes he finds these gourds on this wild vine and he he puts as many as his his garment his cloak can hold right it just just imagine he he's got all of these things he doesn't know what they are no one else knows what they are but he found it so we're going to cut it up, and we're going to throw it in the pot. Any of you ever cook that way? You, you kind of like, you like open up your cupboards, you open up your fridge, and like, oh, I got a little bit of this left over, I got a little bit of this left over, let's just kind of dump it together and hope something comes out. You ever tried one of those? You, you probably did, but you probably had something in your house that at least you had purchased and you knew what it was. This individual found all these gourds a whole heap of them didn't know what they were but it was as many as his his garment his cloak could handle cuts it up adds it to the stew he, he's probably about to pat himself on the back because look at how much i brought and added to this stew because we got to have a lot for this company of the prophets but we got a bunch of us to to feed no one knew what they were Verse 40, the stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Now, some of you might have had some rather interesting reactions to some of your meals. But chances are you've not had anything quite like this, where they literally yell out, there's death in that dish. Now, some of the commentators and authors would believe that this student found a wild vine called coloquintida. Appears to be a beautiful fruit, but it has a very bitter taste. It causes... I'm just going to say this, what it says. Causes violent bowel movements as a result. Sounds like exactly what you would want in your stew, right? No, you don't want that. Now, it could result in dehydration and death if no remedy is found. That doesn't sound like something I want to eat. Now, there's another possibility. Other commentators think it might be a plant called a white briar or white vine has beautiful berries. They're also bitter, but guess what? This causes severe diarrhea. I'm just saying it. That's what it says. So take your pick, whether it's the first one that causes the one thing or the second thing that causes the other thing. I don't have to say it more than once. Neither one sounds very positive. Neither one is something I would want in my stew. So the man had a, a, as many as he could could carry in this this cloak or garment. And everybody's saying, man of God, there's death in the pot. Elisha said, verse 41, get some flour. Some versions or translations would say, get some meal, flour or meal. He put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people to eat. There was nothing harmful in the pot. I mean, No doubt these individuals, these prophets, they were were thankful to have a meal. And in the midst of a famine, they're hearing from this man of God being taught this, this school of the prophets. They were thankful for a meal. I mean, they probably would have overlooked it if it just wasn't very good. Some of you ever done that? You've eaten and something just hasn't been that great, but you ate it even if it was maybe a little bit bitter, maybe if it had a little bit of an aftertaste for these berries or these gourds, uh, but death, I mean, if, if you're starting to, you know, your, your insides are starting to churn and certain things are starting to happen, uh, you, you probably don't want to go any farther. And so they're speaking up about this. Elisha, the man of God, simply asks for flour or meal and placed it in the pot, His faith, his trust was in God, a God who cares for you. I'm thankful that we have a God that cares for you and I. When it comes to our physical body, now, certainly all throughout Scripture, there are many instances of dramatic healings. Man born blind being able to see. The dead being raised, the, uh, the lepers being healed, the, the crippled being made well. There's all incredible things of our physical bodies being miraculously healed. Simply because this was bad stew, which potentially would result in death, doesn't make it any less of a miracle. It indicates God's care. God cared for Elisha. God cared for these prophets. He didn't want them to have death in the pot. These were his individuals uh, to be able to share his word with these people. So Elisha's trust was in God, the God who cares. But just, just think for a moment, if, if you're a part of that situation, you want to you know who a real man of faith would be? The first person to eat some of that stew after Elisha tossed some flour or meal in, right? I mean, everybody's eating. Everybody's calling out, man of God, death in the pot. You know, they're, they're thinking maybe he's going to pray and wave his hand over it and it's going to miraculously change into something else. He's like, yeah, bring some flour or some cornmeal and go ahead and put that in the pot. You know, and the guy who cooked is thinking, well... Are you saying it's not thick enough, Elisha? Are you trying to thicken my stew up or what? Put a little, put a little meal in, put a little flour in. You know, they're waiting for the, for the big thing. What, what's God going to do? What's this man of God going to do? I mean, God has used him in some mighty ways, right? The oil that had, had not run out until they reached that last jar. I mean, that's a, a mighty miracle. A woman who didn't have a son to have a son who died and was brought back to life. I mean, they're wanting to see something like that. He takes some meal, some some flour, puts it in the pot. Says, "Yeah, we're good. Go ahead and serve it." Imagine that that first person, kind of. I imagine might take a little 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 sip, right? The next person takes a little sip and the next person takes a little sip and and pretty soon they're, they're digging in eating their entire bowl but there was health in the pot instead of death in the pot. Very simple story, very simple biblical account but it reinforces that God cares for you. God cares for me. He cares about healing our physical bodies. Now, In our lives, and in our minds, and in our preference, we want that to be heal our body every time, instantaneously, and completely. That's that's our desire. If we're sick and we pray, we say, God, heal me instantly, completely. And guess what? Sometimes God does do that. I mean, I'm thankful for that. I mean, you and I could no doubt share testimonies of God's faithfulness and God's healing, maybe upon your body, maybe upon a a family member or a friend. There's, There's mighty, mighty testimonies of the healing power of God. God is able to, and God continues to heal our bodies, sometimes instantaneously and completely. In fact, just uh, this last week, I was uh, hearing from uh, one of the other presbyters in in, uh, the state of Ohio, something, uh, an individual from their church, and this individual was taken to the hospital, was basically on the table. They were trying to kind of resuscitate. They had died, brought them back, died, brought them back. And for, I think, 40 or 45 minutes, there was no pulse. There was no heartbeat, heart rate, brain activity. There was nothing for 45 minutes. But God. God brought that individual back. And the the, the, oh, <laughs> the doctors are recounting this as a miracle of God. That is something we call about, we see about, and we say, yes, Lord, dramatic and powerful, dead brought to life. God still does that today. I'm thankful God cares about our physical bodies. God can do the miraculous. He can do the instantaneous. God can also do a little bit of the progressive, the little by little healing our bodies a little bit at a time. God also is able to partner with our doctors and partner with procedures and surgeries and medicine to help our bodies little by little by little. We would love if, if every single time there was a, a surgery, like an ACL on a knee, or a rotator cuff for a shoulder or back issues fusing some discs together all three of those are surgeries just taken place in the last couple weeks in our church we would love when the doctor goes in to say wow that acl is back reattached and we don't need to do the surgery we would love for the doctors to say wow there is no tear in that rotator cuff. We would love the doctors when they inspect the discs to say that there's no herniation, there's no need to fuse these discs or put any rods back together. We, we prefer, we would rather the instantaneous and miraculous, and God does do that. But in some cases, God does the progressive. In some cases, God joins his healing hand with surgeries, procedures, medicines. All of that indicates, though, God cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about the healing of our physical body. In this particular case, it it was not necessarily as overwhelming as an individual who had already died. But it sure seemed like it could have gone that way. No doubt, definite physical discomfort was on the horizons but potentially leading to death. And the mighty hand of God, through his servant of God, Elisha, who cares about the physical well-being of his children, he healed. So I want to encourage you this morning. No matter what it is that you might be facing today, For for some, maybe it's kind of this ongoing battle of sickness. For some, it's specific things. You've had a procedure, you've had a surgery, or you're facing one of those. You've got various things that have, have affected or afflicted you off and on. I want you to hear, I want you to understand today, our God is faithful and our God cares for you. He cares about our physical bodies and is desiring to help and to heal and to strengthen. Not only does he care about healing our physical bodies, also understand that God cares about providing for our needs. We'll continue on in chapter 4, just the, the next number of verses, the next short little situation, 2 Kings 4, verse 42 a man came from Baal, Shalashah. Let's stop right there. The name of a town, the name of this location is Baal, Shalashah. What is Baal? Baal's one of those false gods. Remember, Elijah had one of these showdowns with all the prophets of Baal. So here's a man living in this town or village named after or somehow putting Baal as a part of this name or added to this name. That's where he's coming from. But what happened? He was bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. So he's basically bringing the first fruits of the harvest All throughout Scripture, we're instructed and encouraged, the Israelites were instructed and encouraged, bring the first fruits. It's that precursor to our giving, to our tithing, to our returning to the Lord. He said the first fruits, not the leftovers. And and that's a, a big thing because it puts trust in God to give him what comes first. When you begin to harvest your field and you have just a little bit coming in, he says, don't wait until everything's done in your field and let's see if you've got any leftover to give me. He instructs them to give the first fruits. So that's what this man was doing. Some of the grains, he was bringing some of those in these, uh, in these bread loaves, barley bread baked from the first ripe grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. This is is going to be one of those Old Testament biblical accounts that's going to feel a lot like one of the New Testament accounts that we've looked at and studied. See if this reminds you at all about the feeding of the 5,000, right? We're starting with a little bit twenty loaves, but there's one hundred men. What did Elisha say? Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. Now, the the previous uh, biblical account, he simply acted, and we know that God was leading and directing him. He did not say, thus saith the Lord, put flour in the pot. He did that as God was directing. In this particular one, he says, this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. So the man, first of all, by faith, he's bringing in the first fruits. He had not done his entire field. He hadn't done everything to see if he had enough for the next month or the next two months or to pay this or to pay that. He was giving the very first fruits, Bring it to the man of God, and the man of God says... Give it to the people. Well, I was bringing it to you, Elisha said, no, bring it to the people. 20 loaves, 100 individuals. How in the world is that going to be enough? He says, oh, don't worry. God said, you'll have enough and then some. You'll have some leftovers to put in a doggy bag to take back with you. Hmm. Verse 44. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. It's a really understated miracle. But it shows God cares about providing for your needs. If God cares enough about multiplying some loaves for this meal... God cares about other aspects and areas of your life. But doesn't remind you an awful lot of what took place in the New Testament. 5,000 people, and and Jesus said, give them something to eat. Now, 5,000 is a whole lot more than 100. And remember, they said, "We've we've got a young boy with five loaves and two fish. I mean, but what is that amongst so many? And Jesus said, give to the people. They set them in groups. He prayed. He took that and blessed it, began giving to his disciples. The disciples then began giving it. They fed 5,000 plus and had leftovers, right? Remember the leftovers? 12 baskets of leftovers. I mean, the baskets of leftovers dwarfed the beginning point. Not to mention the thousands of people who were fed. Old Testament, New Testament, and today, God cares for you and I. He cares about providing for our needs. Now, there's a lot of great details in here. The fact was, in the midst of this famine, which we'd heard about from the previous story, in the midst of a difficult time, This man was having a harvest. Not only was he giving the first fruits of his harvest, period, he was giving the first fruits of his harvest in the midst of a famine. In a sense, that made it increasingly challenging and increasingly faith-filled that he's going to bring this. I wonder what you and I might do. This man, he brought it. His faith and his trust was in God. It was obedience to God. But what what might we do at times? Sometimes our mindset might be, well, what about me? What about taking care of my needs? I've got to hold on to everything myself. I can't give anything away because I might not have enough for me. That can be a very realistic thought in our hearts and in our minds. What about me? What about my knees? I've got to hold on to it. Why give it away? Why give it to someone else? Why, when I haven't even gone through the rest of my harvest and we're in the midst of a, of a drought or a famine, why would I bake these loaves and come bring them to the man of God, giving them to the Lord? It makes no literal sense, yet it makes complete sense. In the natural, we say, why give something away? Hold on to everything that's yours and try to keep as much as you have. In the spiritual, in the supernatural, God says, return back to me. That tithe. Test me in this. Understand, I will be faithful to you. And it's that tug of war because we say, but I can't even meet my needs now. How am I going to meet my needs if I begin to give some away to the Lord? And it's that aspect of faith where we step out and trust what God has to say more than we trust what our minds or hearts want to say. That's really the issue. Do we trust God? Will we trust what he has said that he loves and he cares about providing for our needs? This man could have said, man, I'm keeping these loaves for myself, for my family, for whoever's around me. But he brought them to the man of God. This this was that gift, this offering given to the Lord. and It was pretty sacrificial. Not just that it was the first fruits, but the first fruits in the midst of a famine or a drought. He gave in obedience. And he simply trusted God with the rest. Now, he didn't know what God's plan was for that. He brought this to the man of God was about to turn around. Elisha said, hey, go feed everybody with what you've brought. I didn't really think it was going to feed everyone. I mean, 20 loaves and 100 people. The amount he brought, it, it wasn't necessarily the largest or greatest. It, it was the first fruits of what he might have had. So, His, his offering, his, what he brought and gave wasn't monumental, but it was... Substantial to him in proportion to maybe what little he was expecting in the rest of his, his results. Elisha didn't keep it as well. Elisha then shared it out. Both the man and with Elisha, they were trusting God, trusting God's power. Understand this. God will not fail. His word will not fail. Elisha said, thus saith the Lord, everyone's going to eat and there'll be some left over. Now, it would have been a mighty miracle simply to take the 20 loaves and feed everybody. That would would have been great. That would have been awesome. But in many cases, the Lord goes above and beyond. He said, not only is everybody going to be fed, the word of the Lord says, there will be some left over. He's going to provide for our needs and then some. There's a lot of needs represented in, in this place. There's a lot of needs represented in, in our homes and our families and in, in our friends. Sometimes those needs are, are financial, physical, spiritual, relational. We have a lot of different needs, but be reminded today God cares. God cares exactly about what you are going through. And look around. What you are going through might be different from what the next person is going through. Your need might look completely different. It doesn't mean God cares any less. God cares absolutely for your need, though it looks different from the next person's need. God cares about providing for our needs. Sometimes it is miraculous and instantaneous, and and we love that in the healing, and we love that in the providing. God, I want to just open up my mailbox, and there is a check for the exact amount that I need. God has done that. God continues to do that. We wish God did that every single time, every single day. God can and continues to. God can provide sometimes through providing a job for us to work or providing a little extra opportunity over here or a few extra hours over here or an increase over there. God can provide in our finances. God can provide in our jobs. God can provide through people. But God provides as we are obedient to him and to his word. God cares about providing for your needs. Finally, this morning, I want you to understand that God cares about big and little things. Turn a page or two in advance to 2 Kings chapter 6. It's another rather short passage of Scripture. We're going to take a look at this and understand God cares whether it's big or little. God understand, God knows, and God cares. 2 Kings chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. The company of the prophets, this is is that group that he's been with teaching and guiding and training. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. It's a great problem to have, right? People who are learning and training and growing and and there's there's a bunch of them and they need more room. Verse 2, let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said to them, go. Then one of them said, "'Won't you please come with your servants?' So he'd been teaching and training, and they said, "'We need some more room. We can go here.'" And he said, "'Yeah, go ahead.'" But they asked, "'Why don't you come with us?' They specifically asked, "'I will,' Elisha replied.'" Verse 4, "'And he went with them.'" So they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. Verse 5, "'As one of them was cutting down a tree,' the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Let's stop right there. How many of you have ever borrowed something and the something you borrowed got broken, got damaged, got in an accident? I mean, something happened to whatever it was that you borrowed. Anybody ever go through some of that? We see a number of hands what does that feel like i mean you had to somehow you had to get up the the guts or the courage to ask the person if you could borrow whatever that thing is i mean in some cases people have borrowed a car you know mom or dad can i borrow the car or can i borrow my friend's vehicle and then you know you get scratched or you get into an accident oh you feel so bad Or you borrow a tool and it busts. Or you borrow this or you borrow that. So this prophet had to borrow this iron axe head. Probably a... A rather expensive item, and, and this, this prophet going through training, uh, uh, some people kind of refer to him, some commentators, uh, almost as like the, uh, the college student of prophets, you know, kind of a, maybe a young, in-training uh, individual, and so not having a whole lot of uh, resources or supplies finds, you know, somebody with an axe head, with this, this iron axe, so I'm going to borrow that, and we're going to come and work together, but it falls into the water. The man of of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Again, it's one of those mighty miracles that's greatly understated. It's like, no big deal, the iron head fell off into the river, He said, where? The man said, there. Elisha threw something in. The axe head floated. Go pick it up. No big deal. God cares about the big and little things of life. See, they were facing a a problem. They, They needed more room. They needed to expand. That's good. The solution, build this larger facility. Some might have likened it to almost like the first college campus in the Bible, not sure if that's exactly the case but certainly there was a school of prophets this training Elisha was investing in them they needed more room let's, let's build this larger facility the Jordan Valley was a heavily forested area so that's a natural place we can go and, and find some wood but this axe was borrowed they were probably either rare and or expensive at that particular point in time probably beyond his resources. Now, the the axes certainly would be a little different than what you and I might get at Home Depot today. The axe handle, no doubt, was split where that axe head was put. It was then tied down with leather, and that leather was soaked with water, and then it would kind of shrink and tighten down as it dried. But the more it was used, the looser it became. I mean, think of it, they don't have the modern technology and all these machines that we have today. So perhaps they're kind of, uh, you know, splicing and slicing some of these leather strips to tie it on. And the more that you use that axe, the looser those straps are going to become. In fact, it was rather common for these axe heads to fly off As you read through some of those thrilling and exciting parts of the law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 19, verses 4 through 7, there are some instructions about loose axe heads. If one flies off and kills a man, it was to be regarded as an accident or manslaughter. The person using the axe could run to the city of refuge for sanctuary. I mean, there's a specific instruction that says, if this happens, here's how you handle it which means it's probably something that happened. Now, this didn't fly off and kill someone. It just flew off into the water. It was borrowed. It was rather expensive. He, he probably didn't have the resources, and you don't have a, a Home Depot just to run down and, and go buy a new one. So what did he do? Elisha cut a stick, threw it into the water, and made the iron float. It's understated, but this is a mighty miracle of God. Let me just ask you, in, in, in case you're not sure, does iron float in water? No. Take an axe, take a hammer, you know, take a drill, take a crowbar, toss it in a, in a swimming pool, and see if it floats along the top. It, it won't, I guarantee you. So that's a problem when this axe head flies into the water. So what God did through his prophet Elijah is a mighty miracle showing that God cares. But How many of you know, no matter what the miracle, as you work your way through scripture, there are individuals who would seek to discredit the miracle. So uh, for your amusement's sake, let me share with you two theories I came across That some who deny the power of God, some who would not believe in a mighty miracle of God, how they would explain away this miracle. So let's just have some fun, because I guarantee you in advance, it's going to take more faith to believe their theories than it takes to believe in the power of an almighty God who cares about you in big and little things. All right? Whether it's the crossing of the Jordan River or the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are theories for what happened. Here are a couple of them for the floating axe head. Number one, they might say that Elisha threw this stick. Now it says he cut a stick. They believe it was the handle of the axe. He'd already lost the axe head, but he took that handle and he threw it with such force into the water, it was almost like a javelin, and it went down so hard, it stuck fast into the hole in the axe head and then floated it up to the water. Anybody buying that? I mean, if you and I had an axe head in one hand and the handle in the other On a table in front of us, and we were told to put the handle into the axe head, it might take us several tries to kind of jam it in or fit it in. Now, let's make it harder. Place the axe head on the ground in front of you. Hold the handle. This would be a minute-to-win-it game that you would never get. And drop it or throw the handle where you can see exactly where that... Uh, axe head is and see if you can get it to stick. Chances are it's a no. Now try to do that where the iron axe head is somewhere in the water that you can't see. The man just says it's over here. So you grab the handle and you throw it into the water so hard that it burrows its way down into the water all the way to the bottom where it just miraculously fits into that little slot and then miraculously floats to the surface. That's like two giant miracles. That's an even greater miracle than God doing a miracle and making the axe head to float. But, but there's, there's one theory. Here's the second one. The second theory, perhaps, is that this wooden handle went down with such immense force and turbulence that it created a tremendous amount of air bubbles. Those air bubbles followed the handle all the way to the bottom. Those air bubbles somehow got underneath the iron axe head and floated it to the top. Anybody buying that one? Isn't it amazing? To to take this far, circuitous route all the way around to try to explain something away. It takes greater faith to trust and believe the theories that take God out of the equation than it does to trust and believe God. The man of God simply tossed it into the water. The iron axe head floated. Now, if you've got the King James Version or a handful of others, it it makes it a very unique phrase, and it says, and the iron did swim. (laughs) I like that. It's almost like the, the iron axe head has got some of these arms, you know, doing... I'm not sure what what swim stroke it was doing, the butterfly or... The iron did swim. It takes more faith to believe in these crazy theories than the faith and trust to say God made the axe head to float. The bottom line is God performed a miracle. God was concerned. Now, we look at that and we think an axe head... What's the big deal about an accent? I mean, I I probably got two or three of them around, and and if not, I just go, I I can go to Walmart, I, I can go to Lowe's, I can go to Menards. I mean, I can go all kinds of places. So to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It seems little. To them, again, this was a rather expensive thing. He had to borrow it, no doubt not having the resources to own it. Now he's lost something he borrowed, putting him in an even greater uh, financial risk. So to us, an axe or an axe head, not a big deal. To them, big deal. Understand, whether it's big or little, great or small, God cares. God cares about the things that happen in our lives. One person wrote it like this in a little bit of a poem. It's a short one. He says, not one concern of ours is small... If we belong to him, to teach us this, the Lord of all once made the iron to swim. I like that. That's how one man wrote it. I also like this. Here's how Jesus put it in the New Testament, Luke 12, verse 6 and 7. He said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Five sparrows for two pennies? I mean insignificant God knows and cares and not one of those little sparrows is forgotten by God indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows God cares I mean if God knows the very number of hairs on our head do you think he's concerned about the other areas and details of our life I submit to you, yes. If God cares about the sparrows, God cares about the, the pigeons, the birds, the this and the that, all the aspects and parts of creation, and some of which we say, why did God create those? They're annoying. God knows and created all of those things. God cares for all of them, and God cares for you. God cares for me. Whether it's big or little, God cares. If it's important to us, it's important to God. From the big things cancer, heart issues, surgeries, salvation of loved ones, big things, big deals that mean a lot to us, God cares. Little things. You have a hurt kitty cat, you have a headache hangnail, test coming up. You lost something. Have I mean, you ever lost something and maybe it itself wasn't entirely the most valuable thing, but it meant something to you? In some cases, what you lost was rather valuable. We face a lot of big things. Understand that God cares. We also face a lot of, a lot of little things in life. God cares as well. If it's something that is important to us as we face it, God understands and God cares. Don't equate God's greatness only with big things. God only cares about the big things. So when I face little things, little issues, I just got to get by on my own. God knows and cares about the big things. God knows and cares about the little things our everyday, ordinary issues and problems, we can bring those to God as well as the massive don't know what I would do kind of problems. He cares for us because we matter to Him. This morning, be reminded that God cares. He cares for you. He cares for me. He cares about healing our physical bodies. He cares about providing for our needs. And he cares about the big and about the little things.